I'm Adam Jackson. And I'm Gabe Lunas-Deseski. We're two serial entrepreneurs and investors here in Silicon Valley. We're building a new talent network called Brain Trust and have created the Way Work Should Work podcast, where we'll dive into new business models, incentive systems, and ownership structures that will affect how every single one of us works. We're joined by top tech investors, business leaders, and academics on the front lines shaping the future of work. Hello, today's guest is Suzanne Gibbs Howard, partner at IDEO and founder dean of IDEOU. IDEO is a learning platform where anyone can learn to solve anything creatively. Suzanne's work focuses on transitioning individuals and organizations through teaching and sharing thought leadership. Obsessed with understanding culture and human motivation, Suzanne arrived at IDEO via a crooked path involving anthropology, teaching English, museum exhibit design, and working in tech startups super interesting background that we'll be exploring today. Suzanne has a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University and a master's from University of Chicago. She's a passionate traveler, educator, research geek, climber, sailor, and mom. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you. Glad to be here. As a passionate traveler, you must just be itching, itching <laughs> around the world this year. That is, I literally have dreams just about getting to the airport. I'm trying to get somewhere again and again. That's probably my most recurring COVID dream. Yeah, I'm like reading this. It's like, she's a passionate traveler, educator, research geek, climber, sailor, and model. I'm like, uh, how about 2020? You just get to be a um, <laughs> Sailing is COVID friendly. That is for sure. It's been the best. Yeah. Do you, you, the, do you sail on the San Francisco Bay? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's been our, our, our little haven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Let's give our, our you know, listeners some of your background. You have a really interesting background, as most people at IDEO, like not a direct line path, kind of a circuitous path that has a bunch of different kind of interests. And, and I, I guess I'm curious to, to understand some of the through line there and, and yeah. be doing what you're doing today. Yeah, definitely. I always say uh, somebody's through line is only obvious to them, right? And so for me, what's most common throughout everything that I've done is that I'm always looking at cultures and change. And I'm just endlessly fascinated with studying people, understanding what makes change happen in positive directions, and, and also what are the blockers for things unfolding. And so I started off in cultural anthropology, I was just drawn to places where there was a little bit more chaos in the world, but opportunity. So I studied in Zimbabwe just post-apartheid. I worked in Beijing and in Lhasa, Tibet, looking at China when it was really starting to open up and change was coming hard and fast and thinking about how can we help this happen in the most positive ways possible. I've worked in Israel and the Middle East. And so in all of those situations, I was saying, what are the social movements happening? How do we harness the power for good? How do we help change go in a positive direction? I thought I was going to be an academic. I realized academia doesn't change very fast. And so that wasn't probably the best place for me to do my best work. And at the same time, I'd been out to the Bay Area. I could see some of the things going on out there and started to see that it was this weird little spot in the world where they were interested in social scientists. And there was an opportunity to apply the things that I love to the development of technologies and the systems that they needed to live in. So I came out here, started working in a couple different startups, hopped around during dot-com 1.0 days and rode that wave, and then eventually ended up at IDEO, 
where we focus on, in the largest sense, change. So how do we help innovations come to the world? How do we create new products, services, experiences? And the work that I really focused on, I've been at IDEO for 19 years, has always been about the systems and cultures that change is situated in. So the organizations and the and society. And so I ran a piece of our business for a long time that was about organizational and systemic change. And that's where I focused ever since. That's, um, that's a, a dealing in environments of chaos, like living uh, <laughs> like best friend in 2020. There's like, obviously nothing to talk about in 2020. It's, it's a love hate relationship, <laughs> definitely. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about IDOU. What prompted you to found it? What, you know, what, what's the passion behind it? What's the mission? Yeah. With IDOU, so in working in organizational change, and I also was really fascinated with education systems. So working in higher ed and with foundations and K-12 learning. And so with IDEO, we were doing a lot of great work helping companies not only to get new innovations out into the world, but to in order to sustain them, they needed to develop new capabilities. So we were teaching, and ironically, we were teaching in very old school ways. You know, we were lecturing, we were teaching classes, we were flying. I was literally flying back and forth to Australia regularly, which was really fun in the beginning. And then I kind of started to take its toll. But most importantly, doing workshops and boot camps just wasn't the most effective way to help other people embody these new ways of working. And so because I was working simultaneously in the world of online learning, I started to say, hey, there's an interesting opportunity here. How do we as IDEO create our own version of a school and really do something that can teach people in more contemporary ways? And so about six or seven years ago, I pitched IDEO and I said, hey, can we create something that can help us really fill the gap and this hunger that we're seeing for these new ways of working and reach people in much more accessible and impactful ways. And so that's where we started to hone in. I think the big area at that time was that in online learning, a lot of it was about the harder skills. So coding and math, that was really the place that online learning got started because it was a little bit easier to figure out how to design those experiences. At that time, people just didn't believe that we could teach this stuff without being face-to-face, without doing it. And so a lot of the innovative experience we've brought to the world is about how to learn by doing with these softer skills in an online environment. So today we've got, it's been six years, we have over 100,000 enrollments, people using this work, having impact, getting, getting new jobs, building their confidence, getting raises, and then spreading these new ways of working in other ways to other people all throughout their own organizations. That's awesome. Can you, can you give us, just for anyone in the audience that that's not familiar, can you give us an example? Like what, what, what's like one of the most successful tracks in IDOU and like, what do people get out of it? Yeah. So we teach some of the, the foundational work that we do is in the space of human-centered design and innovation. So design thinking. So we have foundations and design thinking courses, but we wanted to be sure that we didn't 
just teach the basics. There was so much in the world. And part of the puzzle was that if we were just doing workshops, we taught the same stuff again and again, and we needed much more advanced skills. So we've really talked not just about design thinking, but about the larger category of innovation, about the larger category of the types of leadership that's needed. And then we've expanded out to do teach what we call the power skills. So what are these foundational skills and mindsets that are present in all of these ways of working that anybody can use? So things like empathy, things like collaboration, things like great communication skills and, and all the things that make up creative problem solving. And so, for example, what, what I love is when somebody a little bit unexpected comes in, you know, who's not like a designer and comes in and learn these skills. So, you know, we've literally become friends with many of the people who've come through. One of my favorites is a guy named Bassam Jafar. He works in the Middle East he um, works in a securities and tech company, and he was passionate about learning these new things. He was a natural learner, just gobbling up information all over the web. And so he came in, started taking our courses. He really jumped out as one of the you know, really highly engaged learners. He took everything that we have and then started to get promotions inside of his own company, became the head of innovation at that company. And now not only is he using these skills for his own work, but he's teaching with our courses. He doesn't just say to people, go take our courses, but he's designed a localized learning experience. And sometimes he pops in our courses for people to meet folks from other parts of the globe and start to compare and contrast and grow their skills. And I just think he's done. He's the type of person that we love to see, like it changes within them. And then from there, it starts to ripple out and affect their work and affect others too. That's really cool. I, I, I love this term, power skills. You guys are, are amazing at branding and, and that's <laughs> evidence thereof. I mean, this is, this is very topical now because we're all forced remote. What's your trick? How do you teach this stuff via remote? Like, yeah. what, you know what I mean? Because it's, it, the medium doesn't work for so many things. How do you guys make it work? Yeah. Thank goodness we were on that before all of this kicked in. I think um, that really kept us ahead of the game. And so the key... So first of all, power skills. I think one of the things that we historically have seen is that these are called soft skills. And I just kind of find that demeaning. Yeah, Maybe it's because I'm a social scientist. I think that's kind of like downplaying them as they're less important. And there are really amazing studies. One of my favorites is from Burning Glass, where they literally have looked at the web and mined all the terms that are out there. And they're saying like these, they call them human skills. These are the things that are missing in the world that people are trying to hire for and people don't have regularly enough. And so what we do is we, we know that you can't just watch somebody doing these things and learn it. You know, that'd be like, you want to get fit. So you watch somebody else working out or you want to learn the violin. So you watch somebody else playing, like you're just not going to learn that way. And so you need to do it. You need to feel it. You need to understand what goes wrong for you personally. And so in the design of our learning experience, we move people through what we call see, try, share, reflect. So seeing is the shortest possible educational nugget for us. The inspiration is YouTube videos. We haven't gotten it down to like TikTok video length just yet. That's only the beginning. I think people want to believe that they've learned in the length of a YouTube video. And I just don't believe that that's true. And so then you try it. You try things, whether it's right there online, whether it's going offline and running a project that you have going, the magic is really bringing it back and sharing. So 
IO has incredible convening power. We have over a hundred, a couple hundred people inside of every course. And what happens is all of those people are, are change makers or aspiring change makers. They're putting their work up. They share it in this gallery and everybody is commenting on each other's work, looking at what somebody else does, thinking, oh, how could I grow through doing something like that? We have a teaching team live in there, poking people, pushing them to see other people's work that might be relevant, giving them feedback. And so that share moment is some of the most potent part of this kind of learning experience. Is that part done live or asynchronously? That, that both, okay. both. Okay. So dominantly it's asynchronous because we know all these people are busy people and the rest of their lives. So we make it possible to do it asynchronously and then we punctuate it. We're always experimenting with this stuff. So we have this teaching team on there, people all around the world who we hand select. And then they also host you know, the equivalent of office hours, but great conversations and they're just helping people share and reflect on what's right for them personally. So cool. And so, so sorry, sorry, continue. No, not at all. I think that was the last point is that okay. this belief that what we do is right for us at IDEO, it's not right for everybody else. So Bossa Man, you know, in the Middle East or Qiming in Tokyo, or somebody working in K-12 education, they've got to make it right for their world. And so that part of reflecting and tuning it to their own approach is really key. Thanks so much for listening to The Way Work Should Work, brought to you by Braintrust. Like what you're hearing on our podcast? Are you ready to take the next step? Visit usebraintrust.com backslash match to get matched with highly skilled technical talent today. And for our listeners of this podcast, we're offering a two-week free trial. That's right. Top tech talent delivered straight to your inbox within 48 hours, risk-free. Don't wait. Go to usebraintrust.com backslash match to get started today. That's U-S-E-B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T dot com backslash M-A-T-C-H to get started today. And that's, so that's interesting. I feel like we're getting your secret sauce here. This is great. That sharing piece is the, that's the feedback loop, right? That sort of completes the circuit and actually makes you better at it. Um, it does. I guess the, the last part of that feedback loop is that you're never done. I mean, yeah, you right. guys know how this yeah. is, right? So you're, you got to keep practicing. And so one lap through is great, but then you realize something else and you've got to keep going with it. Yep. Awesome. So if you don't have those other people there, you're going to give up a lot sooner. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> you talk about some of these power skills and I love that term as well of creativity and collaboration and communication and never have those things been more important than the chaos that we've been dealing with this year. So I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the, the skills and mindsets that you think are, are kind of important right now. And also in the coming years, as we, you know, as we navigate this shift in the way in which people work or even the places that people work? The way I see it, these are the skills that help you deal with anything that comes your way. I mean, there are certainly specific skills that we all need. We all need to know how to learn this and that piece of technology. But if you're not able to be resilient in the face of all of this chaos, dig deep and understand where you are, your self-awareness, your awareness of others, then you're just not going to be able to get this hard work done. And so the way I think about it, like no matter what the 
the challenge is, this is like your toolkit. That you, These are your hammers and your screwdrivers that you can keep coming back to, to be successful. And then you know how to work on different projects with more specific skills as well. Really interesting. Yeah, it's... Have you have you like heard feedback from people on how they're kind of using those power tools or, or power skills today? Maybe that they took courses from before. Like I'm, I'm curious to see how that has impacted some of the students navigating these challenges of 2020. Yeah, I think the things that excite me the most are when we see them pulling these skills in one hand into the into the rest of their life. So I think we've got such a range that these skills are so broadly ap- applicable. You know, I love the stories that we hear where people are applying this to something like the design of their own wedding, you know, because they they were dealing with uh, diverse and multiracial families and lots of religions. And so they needed to bring everyone together and harmoniously design an event that would bring the family together instead of apart. We're seeing people using these skills now in the racial awakening that's happening or this next level reckoning that's happening, especially in this country. I think while there's critique of some of these approaches, I think when done well and really truly about broadening out, listening to multiple perspectives, co-designing and co-creating with people, we're seeing some of these skills in in, in our learners, people using this to rethink how do we need to work differently in everything from supporting cultures when we've gone remote to how do we bring more diversity, equity, and inclusion into our workspaces and the way that we get work done. Hmm. This is kind of a good segue. I'd like to talk a little bit about what's required of leaders during this time. Uh, there's kind of, it's a two-part question, but let's first start about, you know, what do you, what do you think that this pandemic has either shine, shine a light on or that has changed what's required of, of leaders? Yeah. So it's so funny. Last year, I published this article called Three Things Leaders Need in Times of Uncertainty. And so it's just so ironic that I had no clue what was coming at that time. But in that, I think a lot of the, the thinking there still stands true. So I was looking across things that had happened in all sorts of cases of innovation. I was looking at the literature and kind of summarizing, like he, nobody can hold anything more than three things in their head at the same time. So like, these are the three things that are, are most needed. And they're number one about ways to navigate ambiguity, right? And that is very much about leaders letting go of the idea that we have all the answers and instead leading through questions. And that's the hardest thing for successful people to do is, is I'm doing it right now. Stop answering and start asking questions. So how do we, how do we ask more questions, inspire more people, help more people get engaged? That leads me to number two, which is we need ever more broad and diverse groups of people and organizations coming together to problem solve. So we need to be able to handle lots and lots of inputs hear and truly deeply listen to those people, truly deeply collaborate with them in order to get beyond the silos that usually limit our thinking. And then the third thing is kind of the hardest is that somehow in the face of all this chaos, we need to stay optimistic and hold that optimism in just the right way to maintain momentum. It doesn't mean ignoring and sweeping under the rug all the complexity, but facing it, embracing it and working through it to get to better places. And so as a leader, I try to come back to those things regularly. I try to help 
others on my team, you know, leading at all levels to think about how they can dig deep with all of those, those needs. Suzanne, what are, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what are some like personal anecdotes maybe around like that third topic, like staying optimistic and staying motivated? I'm really putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're pushing on the thing that's so hard right now. Um, I mean, I think with that, I'll say, I'll share very concretely. I think this is something that I'm so wrestling with right now myself. It's so hard to stay optimistic. And so things that I do in that space is I do have my, my trusted network of people around me who, who we share and we talk about these skills and we're constantly helping to bolster each other in practicing them even more. And I have one particular person around me who, when I, you know, we'll, we'll have little vent sessions, go into that downward spiral and then we'll say like, okay, what can we get excited about? Um, and so we'll take ourselves back up into that place and make sure that we go there regularly. I think the other thing I've been doing is <laughs> ever since, ever since COVID hit, I have had this one song playing in my head, which is like a total seventies, like funk song of uh, tell me something good. <laughs> it's like by hot chocolate or something. And so I literally think of that. And in conversations with one-on-ones people who I'm coaching or with teams, I'll just say like, let's just spend a few minutes telling each other something good that's going on. What's the positive? What's the good stuff that we're doing? And then we can get into the harder stuff, but we just need to make a little space for for the positive, optimistic things that are happening. It's a really cool way to prime people for that experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read an article, uh, it came out in August, it was in BBC Work Life, and it was talking about like the, the traits of remote leaders and how this like abrupt shift to remote work has, has actually brought about or shined a light on the difference of what it takes to be a successful remote leader versus what it takes to be an, a leader in an office. And one of the things that they found was actually that it was, it was the personality traits were actually flipped of the successful remote leaders. They were oftentimes not the <laughs> inspiring, charismatic people that, that oftentimes succeed in an in-office environment that are really well-liked and really like that everyone admires. They're more really detail-oriented kind of servant leaders that are focused on delivering details for their teams and, and mm. like effectively project managing. I'm curious to get your take on maybe things that you've seen at, at IDEO as you, you guys have shifted from what is traditionally like an in-office culture with lots of sticky notes to, to a, a culture that's now running distributed. So I'm curious to get your take on anything that you guys have seen internally about um, you know, the attributes of, of leaders that have been successful during this time. Yeah, yeah. Super interesting. I mean, I one thing that I'm endlessly fascinated by because I get that way when I don't know how something's going to play out culturally is like, what is going to happen with workplace culture? And what are the new norms going to be to help people thrive? And so I'm definitely looking... I love that article that you're talking about, Gabe. I think it's super interesting because I know so much more attention is having to go to the logistics and the prep and the setup so that a great virtually collaboration, virtually collaborative session can flow. And so when I'm seeing moments of Thrive, 
I know that it looks natural, but somebody spent a lot of time setting up a mural board to have all the flow on there and preparing and thinking through how to time block something and making sure that the right people are there and that they're primed and set for what exactly are we doing and what's your role. So I think all of that needs to happen so that then great creative leaders can do their thing and really thrive. So I know in the early days of COVID, we had like a little mini internal merger, right? Like two days after everybody went to work from home and we had some full day session planned. We had to change it all at the last section. And it went, it was not my best moment because I think everybody was just trying to talk and there was no control over the situation and nobody knew how to participate. And we hadn't designed ways for multiple layers of communication, like people typing, people inputting, people verbalizing. And so I think from that, I'm seeing like a really fast pace and evolution of people designing ways that they can come together and really harness multiple voices and opinions and, and kind of nudge them into productive directions. Yeah. It gives me promise about that or, or hope is that more introverts might become leaders and also people from a more diverse set of backgrounds uh, get into leadership and management positions because it's not based on this kind of classic bias that we have for what a, what a good leader is or how they talk or how they interact with people. I think I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And, and my hope is that yeah. it plays out for a broader set of leaders Absolutely. I'm 100% seeing that happen. We had this amazing event at IDEO where we called it the May Frenzy. It would have been the time of year that we had our May leadership event and 100 people might have come together from all around the globe. Instead, we cracked it open, ran it all via Zoom and Slack and all of these different things. And there were, it was like, it was like the Olympics. It was 24 hours a day for an entire week of just people filling slots with all sorts of amazing, juicy content and activities. And the thing that I was most excited about for me in that environment, hearing the voices of women and other minority groups, especially inside of IDEO, really speaking their mind through different mediums. And that chat medium is so interesting to me to see how people poke and prod and, and make things happen. Super cool. One of the cool things that this COVID thing sort of forced us into was, so we, we, we're a remote first company to begin with, but we did, we do, assuming we ever are allowed back into it. We have the small office in the ferry building that we used to convene at and like, you know, get together and whatever. And that is, has been locked down and, and you know, who knows when we'll get back in. But, but one of the cool things is like this, this sort of forced us as a company brain trust to actually re-examine, like, do we need all these live meetings? And so we ended up actually pairing back our live, you know, what would have been hour long meetings and made almost all of it asynchronous through Asana. And so now we can branch out through all these other time zones we have people in and, you know, the kind of the sun never sets on this team now. And, and everything is written down and you haven't missed anything because you weren't, you know, next to the whiteboard in San Francisco that day. And we spend like 80% less time in internal meetings. So everyone's much happier. So that was one of the odd, like that got me fired up, like optimistic, like, okay, there's a silver lining here for that as well. But it made me wonder for you guys, Suzanne, like, 
are, are, are you all, uh, is IDEO sort of chomping at the bit to get back into the office and like kind of go back to the way it was or are, are any of these changes permanent? Do you think for, for IDEO? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to know more about what you're doing with Asana. We use that too inside of IDOU because I think we're one of the few things that we are sustained and always working on the same products. And so tools like that make a lot of sense and I would love to cut down meetings. So that's super interesting. In terms of IDEO with chomping at the bit, I mean, our spaces are so important to us and working physically has always been so critical in the ways that we do what we do. I think we're really split on that. I think there are absolutely some people who are chomping at the bit and can't wait to get back in there. It might be related to their their skills or just the ways they work or the environment that they're living in at home yeah. and wanting to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And then others are just really happy and thriving. Like I am a very social person, but I'm kind of loving working at home all the time, way more than I thought I would. And so I think, I think what's going to happen at IDEO is going to be similar to most other workplaces. I don't think we'll be going back to 40, 50, 60 hours in a physical workspace, probably ever again. I think those days are gone. I think, and for IDEO, I mean, so much of it was travel, right? And so I think the days of the old school road road warrior hopping on a plane to fly to another continent for a two-hour meeting, which was always absurd, are just dead and gone, I hope. And so I think we'll have something new. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be more hybridized. What I mean, what another great thing to come out of this, right? Like business travel is hopefully dead forever. I mean, I remember when I was running my last company, Dr. On Amanda, I used to do day trips to Bentonville, Arkansas, because we were doing a deal with Walmart. And I would do day trips because there there really aren't any hotels there, you know? And like, and I would go through Dallas and it was like this 18 hour, you know, travel day. And it's like, Never again. Yeah, I used to fly a quarter million miles a year domestic. Yeah. <laughs> There's no over the ocean in those miles. It was, wow. all, you know, and it's, it, it, what a great thing that we can just like, we've proven now that this works. The meeting thing, by the way, since you asked, um, yeah. and, and I've, we have to give a lot of credit to our chief of staff and who holds us accountable on this. But basically what we did was we said, look, why are we sitting around reading each other updates? Let's type them all in to this kind of template in Asana and just like, what'd you do last week? What are you doing now? What are you going to do next week? What are your wins? What are your losses? What are your blockers? And put it all in there a few hours before the meeting. Every, it's on everyone else to read it and get it, get up to speed. So everyone sort of reads it asynchronously. And then when, when the meeting actually happens, it's, we're not reading the screen to each other because we've all read it already. So yeah. we just go through, we celebrate the wins. We do some high fives. We lament a loss. We talk, we do a postmortem maybe. And then we talk about blockers and, like these, we condense like three or four hour long recurring meetings into one meeting that's scheduled for an hour, usually takes 35 minutes. And then we sort of like sit around and tell jokes and like talk about our families <laughs> at the end, you know? And it's, it's just so much better. Everyone can just get, kind of get their lives back. And like, I'm not sure we would have, Gabe, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure we would have figured this out had it not been for COVID. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, my observation, like working a lot of the enterprises that we do is that, they have basically taken in-office culture and they just moved it to Zoom, which is like a, a very poor replacement. And also they don't get any of the benefits of remote work, right? Yeah. <laughs> they basically yeah. just have on meetings all day. 
which means that they can't really work with more like global or distributed teams. Yeah. And they can't leverage one of the best parts, which is asynchronous communication, written communication um, versus like, you know, over a screen. So I, it, it, I think maybe the reason that that's happened is everyone keeps thinking like it's just gonna be two more weeks. Yeah. This next two weeks, then like, then I can go back to the way it was. But my hope is that maybe this you know, happens something through IDOU or, or some other places. There's these kind of levels of distributed work or remote work. Matt, Matt Mullenweg has a great article on this, which is like the peak is no meetings, fully asynchronous, global work. And because that way you truly have a global workforce that are the best people in the world at their respective you know, skills or jobs. And the company can essentially be operating in a very fluid way versus having this like normal cadence of meetings every single day, which really like they slow down innovation in many ways. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the way work should work brought to you by brain trust. Like what you're hearing on the podcast, ready to take the next steps, visit usebraintrust.com slash match to get matched with highly skilled technical talent today. And for listeners of this podcast, we're offering a free two-week trial. That's right. Top tech talent delivered straight to your inbox within 48 hours, risk-free. Don't wait. Go to usebraintrust.com slash match to get started today. That's usebraintrust.com slash M-A-T-C-H to get started today. I mean, you're making me realize that one of the things that if I have a little minor prediction, it's that work, I don't know if it's a prediction or a wish, is that work just gets lumpy right? That we have moments of in-person intensity and then moments where you come away. Organizations like the Gates Foundation are really great at this. They have like their home weeks, right? Because they have had a distributed workforce and everybody's focused on all the different things that they're doing. But I think where we're struggling right now is that the agreements are all off, especially when it's global workforce. I think like the, the hard bit is not the hopping on planes, but you still have weird work hours, right? You know, cause you're you working live in with, your office. <laughs> yeah. And you're, and you're working with Shanghai at the same time as you're working with London and Munich. And so it's really hard to know where to draw boundaries about when you're on, when a collective is on and off. Yeah. And so I feel, and, and I love your point also about, and also what are the mediums through which people have to be responsible for versus maybe like lightly, supposed to be paying attention to it's very it's maybe too tactical for IDOU but like for instance like we have kind of a communication protocols which is basically what tool to use in what situation and how to use it so that you're not constantly checking all the different tools for all the different things which is just like a, a frantic way to work and the other one is interesting around communication skills because it takes a it takes different skills to be an amazing like written communicator versus someone that's great at communicating in front of a large group or communicating on Zooms or, or in like, you know, works, innovative work sessions. And it stretches really different muscles that I don't think a lot of leaders have been forced to stretch for quite yeah. some time. It's, it's really interesting to see how that emerged and that maybe that ties back to the what's required of leaders in this remote work. 
conversation. Yeah, I am a big fan of the written word. And I think that makes me kind of an outlier at IDEO. I think more people are high, much more highly skilled. I'll often say I'm the worst designer in all of IDEO. Like my visual skills suck. You know, I produce the ugliest things and I must partner with others in order to really get them to a level of impact. But I love the written word and I'm really fast in that. And so it's really funny. We had a partner meeting the other day and there was like a, a typing activity and most people were like, eh, we couldn't, we couldn't do it in the time. And I was like, I type really fast. I can, I can, we got to some great stuff and people were like, oh, that's, that's weird. Written word, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Suzanne, I want to, uh, if you're cool with it, I want to transition to something we call the lightning round. So these are quick questions and just give us like a, a one or two sentence answer, kind of stream of consciousness. Don't overthink it. The first one is which technology do you think will dramatically accelerate the future of work? I think a little bit more in experiences than specific technologies. So the thing that I'm focused on are, are products and services that make learning micro and embed it in the work that needs to be done anyway. So I'm kind of fascinated with companies like Beekeeper, they do like mobile training for frontline employees or Dozuki kind of embeds learning in process improvement. So I don't think I'm going to personally make those things, but I think they're super interesting. So just side tangent, what do you you think of this thing? Do you guys do anything with this? The Oculus? Uh, We don't. I know so much of learning is going to come with and through that. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to get there just I, yet. I, I feel, I, I'm a huge fan of it. My, my friend Hugo runs it over there at Facebook. I, and I feel like it's always a few months away and everyone's going to be using it. And it's like, what's going to be the tipping point? You know what I mean? And it's, it's interesting to hear actually that IDEO is not on that train yet. Yeah. With IDEO U, we're, we're still designing for the mass. And so I think we're not there yet, but it's a space that I'm, especially with teaching empathy. Right. I know that's a place where, where VR and AR are going to really have powerful impact. Second one is, what's the one that you follow closely in the future of work? Yeah, I follow more themes. So I, I'm always looking at, at culture in the future of work, and then I'm kind of omnivorous. So oh, I just went to a talk with Julie Lithcott-Hames talking about race in America, and she's talking about that impact on youth. Simultaneously, I'm looking at Priya Parker and her art of the gathering. And she's been really starting to think about, she talked a lot about physical gatherings and how does that come into the online world? We, we actually touched on this a couple of times, but what's one sort of temporary change that as a result of COVID that you think will become permanent? Okay, I mean, we talked about that remote workforce isn't, isn't gonna go away. And I think I'm kind of psyched about some of that. The other thing is, For me, being in the space of learning, I love that people are being forced to go toward the behaviors of being lifelong learners, right? And so I picked back up piano after 35 years, you know, because it's virtual now. My 78-year-old dad is all of a sudden learning how to do marketing on Facebook because he's got something he wants to get out in the world. And I just think that need to constantly learn in your work life and your personal life is not going to go away. And the fact that people are being forced to learn online is a, is a gift. Awesome. Yeah, humans don't like behavior change. So we need <laughs> functions to make us do so. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a piece of research or an article that, that has really kind of shifted your perspective on the future of work? The recent article that I, well, it's, it's an old article, but new to me that I am still processing like weeks after reading it is there's a piece on characteristics of white supremacist culture. It's a uh, Kenneth Jones and Tema Okun, and they really talk about beyond workplace, but it's really present in workplace. Like what are the characteristics that are, are at play and how are we more mindful of them and shifting them? So why I'm, why I'm really sitting with is there's a lot of stuff in there that's easy for me to digest, like less paternalism, less defensiveness. Okay, great. We all know that. But they pick on this one characteristic about urgency. And that has just been something I have to sit with as somebody who's worked in startups, who's worked in innovation, who's worked in consultancies, who likes a fast pace realizing that urgency is problematic is hard for me. And so I, that one's been one that kind of was like a little smack in the face in a good way. And, uh, and I don't know what to do about it yet. Is urgency a, a polite term for impatience? I'm not sure. I need to dig deeper into some more of the work that that community has pushed out over time. And so I think they're, I think they're very specific on it. And so it's not necessarily a full critique of, but like more like expectations about the pace of change are a little bit off with reality. And so things get underscoped and demands and pressure on people are just unrealistic. But that's just something I need to process a lot more and, and dig into. But, uh, the, dig that up. That's the, fascinating. Dismantling racism, the workbook for social change. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a piece that was put out like in the early 2000s, but new to me. Definitely check that out. Thank you. Wow. Okay. And what we, I love to close on this one. This is a, a question from a famous contrarian, Peter Thiel. What's something you believe strongly that is an unpopular view today? I think my, my belief is unpopular even with myself. It's that... Um, change hurts, right? It's you have to destroy things in order to get to new, more positive futures. And so I know that I believe it deeply. I know that change never comes from the mainstream, that it's always from the edges and that that process is a process of destruction. But at the same time, like realizing that we can encourage each other, be optimistic about embracing it in order to get to the other side is, is the belief that I hope brings people forward and brings us together. Well, that is an excellent point to end on. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining us today. We Awesome, awesome conversation. Where can people reach you, find out more about you, IDOU, et cetera? Yeah, well, thank you. It's been real pleasure talking to both of you, Adam and Gabe. Uh, we, best places, you can come to IDOU.com. We have our own podcast, which is one of the places that I highly recommend. It's called the Creative Confidence Series. It's on all the usual places from iTunes to SoundCloud. And so we, we pod regularly from there. And then I'm on all the channels. I'm probably most dominantly on LinkedIn, a little bit Twitter. And then if you Absolutely. want to see my personal life, you'll find those where you find those. There's another <laughs> COVID thing. I'm not sure I could even spell LinkedIn before this started. And now um, it's like three hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. All those changes. Yeah.